Good morning. My name is Frank, and my pronouns are he and him, and I am this morning grateful to have the opportunity to share a message with you here this morning. First of all, gratitude to the band and Chris for their work setting this up. When I was about 18, my brother was fired from a job at a grocery store where we both worked. He was fired for stealing, not food, cash from the register. Now, he and I were both scheduled to work on that day when he was going to be fired. I was coming in a few hours before him. And so the owner and manager, the owner of the store, took that opportunity to take me aside and explain to me what he had been doing. And he said... Look, I'd been moving some schedules around. I noticed some money was missing in the in the, the deposits, and they weren't lining up with the receipts. And so I got concerned, and I, I moved employees here and there and everywhere throughout the week, a couple past few weeks. And all the evidence points to your brother. And I was like, damn, that's uh, that's pretty clever. It's pretty smart. Science. There's good experimental design. He kind of moved people around. He looked what happened. He looked at the data, and he reached a conclusion. And I was like, yeah, good work. And I was also upset, and I was kind of angry. But I didn't do much. I didn't really fight about it. I just said, are you sure? You sure you're right? He said, oh, yeah, I'm certain. I know for sure. It's him. i got to fire him. I'm doing the right thing. To this day, my brother says, no way, I did not take that money. And this is 35 years ago, almost 40. I actually believe him. I believe him then and I believe him now. But the owner had the proof I didn't. So I let it go. I suspect many of us have had experiences like this We'll be listening to someone else talk or some, about something or someone or some event about which we have great certainty and clarity. And what we're hearing is incompatible with what we know or think we know. Raise your hand, actually, if you felt that way in the past year. You had this experience? Yeah. How about the past month? How about the past week? Still hands up. Like every day I turn on the news, I have this experience, right? So I wonder, what are we supposed to do about this? How do we react? What do we say in those situations? I know for me, when I experience these moments, it creates doubt, self-doubt. I become uncertain in my own heart about what I know and what I think I know. And so it was in that situation with my brother. And for the next 30 years... I carried around some guilt and some shame. Why did I not act more strongly in defense of my brother, in defense of what I personally believed, what I had set my heart upon, his innocence? If I were a person of conviction, I told myself, a person of conscience like my heroes, I would have quit the job that day. Damn the consequences. But I didn't. And so over the years, 
this question became deeper for me. Do I actually have any deeply held convictions? I asked myself. Am I capable of living into those things? Of acting in ways that make plain and clear my beliefs? Possibly risking public displeasure, personal embarrassment, maybe my job, maybe my life. To be honest, I'm still sorting it out. And I hope you don't mind if I do some of that sorting out with you here today. When I was teaching years ago, my students would often come to me at the end of the semester and say, Professor Zinni, I liked when they said that, Professor Zinni, we're unable to figure out what your political beliefs are. We have no idea what you believe one way or the other. Are you a liberal? Are you conservative? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Even after 40 hours, could you imagine listening to me talk for 40 hours? 40 hours of talking about American politics and government, an entire semester, 13 weeks, they didn't know. That actually made me feel really good. I was really proud. I remained neutral, fair, objective, fact-based. I was able to consider many points of view, and I didn't lean one way or another in such a way that they were able to discern what I believed or what I thought. I actually quite enjoy holding an idea at some distance, looking at it from lots of different perspectives, considering its implications and its origins. That's maybe why I really enjoy math and science, because to me they look and seem to be ways of knowing that operate in the realm of the provable, They're objective, they're fact-based, and not in the realm of the subjective or the intuitive. While I recognize that both proof and intuition do play a role in how we know things and how we apprehend the world and come to understand our world, I'm just more comfortable operating in that objective realm than the subjective. When I'm in the realm of fact, of reason, of proven evidence and data and logic, I feel certain, I feel safe. So when I think about the question, what is it I set my heart upon, it actually raises another question. What do I know? What can I prove? What's factual? After all, If I'm going to set my heart upon something, I want some assurances that I'm not going to find myself on the wrong side of history, that there's some validity and truth to what I'm saying. Because when I'm called upon to share it, to make it public, I'm going to be vulnerable. And that's a scary place for me. And so I think it is for all of us. How can we share our hearts and live into our deepest beliefs as individuals, as a community? How can we do this when we can often find that they're in direct opposition to the claims and beliefs and convictions that our friends hold, that our neighbors hold, that other members of other communities hold? How do we do that and feel feel safe? And when I look around the world at this moment, at this time in our history, 
I see a growing distrust out there, a decline in faith, and not religious faith necessarily, but faith in things, faith in that which we can set our hearts upon. Institutions that we once trusted, governments, corporations, news media, politicians, clergy, the churches, each in their own way have not lived up to their own ideals. And so over time, and this has happened over many years, and there's lots of data to show it, our trust in these things has declined and eroded. So how do we respond to this uncertainty? How do we respond to this feeling of uncertainty and distrust? From where I sit and what I see, I see us retreating into smaller and smaller areas of what we can safely set our hearts upon. We trust what is nearest to us until ultimately we land in that safest place, personal truth. And when I hear this concept, when I hear people talk about it, it puts me in mind of, of course, something George Costanza said to Jerry Seinfeld. He said, now remember, Jerry, if you believe it's true, you can't be lying. Yeah, it's a little absurd. And yet we hear that claim, my personal truth. This is my truth. And I I think it's fine to say that. And I really understand the reason people say it. But for me, when I hear it, it closes down relationship. It doesn't open it up. So we're at this time and in this moment, it seems at a point of significant challenge, whether it's in our local communities, in the country, around the world, even here at Wellsprings, each in their own ways, to be sure. They're not the same kinds of challenges. But with each, we, to move forward, we need to face these challenges and we need to grow and thrive together. And we need to have some things upon which we set our hearts, some things in common. Without that, It's hard to act as a group, as a collective. How can we achieve this enlarged sense of shared commitments, shared beliefs and convictions? How do we take our personal truth, what we know in our hearts, our felt truth, into a gathered, shared, broadly accepted truth? That's the question that's really nagging at me these days. That's the question that tugs at me. It's the one I think about when I think, what do I want to set my heart upon? And I would suggest it's something that confronts all of us now as we seek to work on the different problems that we have either here or out in the larger world. Now, because I have math and physics envy, and I'm a bit of a geek, so you'll have to bear with me. Part of how I've come to reconcile this tension for me between fact and feeling Objective truth and subjective truth. How I work on building that bridge from my convictions to an enlarged set of convictions can be found in math and logic. At the beginning of the 20th century, mathematicians and scientists were quite convinced that it would be possible, through hard work for sure, to prove the truth of every mathematical theorem. 
They would be able to prove it using math and logic. It was a deeply held conviction at that time among the leading thinkers in this area. And yet along comes a young German logician in 1931, Kurt Gödel. And Professor Gödel wrote a couple of pages, a 23-page paper, in which he developed his incompleteness theorem, what came to be called the incompleteness theorem. What he demonstrated using logic was that any logical or mathematical system will contain true statements, theorems, that cannot cannot be proven to be true using that formal system. The formal system is therefore incomplete. He further demonstrated that it's not possible to prove the truth or validity of the formal system itself. Now, what he, to say it plainly, there are true statements that are, cannot be proven to be true, and there are ways of proving things that themselves cannot be proven. At the time of Gödel's writing, this was devastating to all the people operating in this world of logic and math and science. Alfred North Whitehead and Bertrand Russell, in fact, were, had spent quite a bit of time writing a book to explain mathematics and prove mathematics. Hundreds and hundreds of pages to get to 1 plus 1 equals 2. In 23 pages, Gödel wiped it out. And he said, give up. And they had to give up. They were wasting their time. To make it crystal clear, because this is a bit abstract, consider this sentence. This sentence is false. Now, that sentence is grammatically correct. It's a perfect sentence. There's nothing wrong with that sentence. This sentence can be derived from the axioms and principles of the English language. I wrote it. (laughs) I defy anyone here today to prove that that's true using English and all the rules of the English language. Can't be done. This is Gödel's insight. At some point, we're stuck. For me, unlike being devastating to North uh, Whitehead and Russell, this is a powerful and liberating insight. Even the rigor of math and logic must at some level begin with an assumption which cannot be proven or derived and which must simply be accepted, taken on faith. The mathematician or the logician must place her heart upon this first step and must be ready to accept what she finds and that she will find things that are true that she cannot prove to be true. For me, this opened the world of possibility. It leveled the playing field of knowing. It makes space for intuition and faith in helping us apprehend our world. It made me a bit less envious of math and physics, actually. They can't prove everything after all. Actually, in the world of particle physics, to take another example, another geeky example, Peter Higgs and several others at the time in 1963 or 64 hypothesized, assumed the existence of something that that was called the Higgs field and the, the Higgs boson. 
And for 50 years, particle physics physicists worked on their work as if it were true. They had no proof. It was an assumption. And it helped resolve a lot of weirdness in their math and helped resolve some of the relationships they were struggling with. And more importantly, without this assumption, everything they understood up to that point suggested that the entire universe could not exist without this idea. For those of you who don't know, the Higgs field gives everything mass, and without mass, nothing holds itself together. So it's a requirement for the very fabric of the universe. In 2012, with Peter Higgs present in Switzerland at the Large Hadron Collider, they conducted some experiments to see if, in fact, they could find this mysterious assumption that seemed to make all the math work, but nobody had ever seen before. And in fact, they found it. They discovered, if you will, through observation, the Higgs boson, which implied the Higgs field. You can't see or measure the Higgs field. You just have to capture the boson. They forged ahead in all that time up until 2012 as if it were true. And that made everything work. But they were uncertain. There was a kind of incompleteness in their knowledge. Now, while I was working on this message, and I'm not really one to believe too much in coincidence, this quote popped up in my Instagram feed. If you're interested in security and certainty, you're on the wrong planet. <laughs> Pema Chadron. I got to tell you, sometimes Buddhists, like, you, just, you think they're so mellow and they just slap you upside the head, you know, and, and like, oh, wow, that hurt. Yeah. She's right. As it turned out with my brother, I later learned that an assistant manager and friend of the owner took the money from the office safe a couple of years later and fled the state. I suspect now that perhaps he might have been the actual culprit so many years ago. More recently, I shared my feelings of guilt and shame with my brother. I talked to him about how I felt and what, what happened. I carried this around for a long time. And he actually said, thank you for not doing anything, for just letting it be. If you had quit, mom and dad would have asked so many questions. This way, I didn't have to answer any questions, any uncomfortable questions about why I wasn't working there anymore. I was like, wow, you know, so many different possibilities here, so many different perspectives using on the same, the same set of facts, so many additional variables and particles that people hadn't thought about or considered. But I still continue to wonder what might have happened if I had just pushed a little harder, if I just asked a few more questions, if I had just defended him a bit more strongly. What if the owner had introduced some other assumptions into his analysis of the data? Did did that assistant manager work at the same time my brother worked? And did he just, because my brother was just like six, 15, 16 years old. He wasn't closing the store. He wasn't ringing out the cash register. He just a cleaning up. Did he think maybe his friend was doing it? I don't know. 
Would my parents have been upset or would they have jumped to my brother's defense once they saw my own convictions and his innocence? I can't be certain of any of this. I don't know. But I do know that I believe my brother. I believe he wasn't responsible for the missing money. I'm comfortable now with the uncertainty, the incompleteness of what I know, thanks to Girdle. And I just keep moving forward. At home, where I work these days, I have taped to my computer monitor two questions. You can't really read them probably from the back of the room, but it says, are you open? Are you curious? And I placed these there about a month ago after attending a workshop on deep listening led by Terry Rothermel in her capacity as a member of our leadership development ministry. At this workshop, we explored how we can more effectively communicate with one another, break through those differences of understanding and what we set our hearts upon. I placed them there to constantly remind me to practice these ideals. To me, this orientation is the first step toward bridging these differences and building trust. This orientation is a recognition of what I do not know, of what I cannot be certain about, of the mystery that is another person, another culture, another perspective on life, another interpretation of events. It's the first step beyond my truth to a larger shared truth. As Karen Armstrong says in her book, The Case for God, insight requires not only a dedicated intellectual endeavor to get beyond the idols of thought, but also a compassionate lifestyle that enables us to break out of the prism of selfhood. Experience proved that this was possible only if people cultivated a receptive, listening attitude not unlike we approach art or music or poetry, a heart that watches and receives. Though I feel at this moment that people and communities are pulling apart, the seams that hold us together seem to be tearing. Our ability to act collectively is under great strain. I'd like to suggest that we can establish trust rebuild trust, make a leap of faith, if you will, and set our hearts upon a common purpose when we speak our truth and we recognize the incompleteness and uncertainty of our truth. When we practice openness and curiosity, when we ask ourselves those questions, am I open, am I curious, we make way for a common understanding a space for shared experience, a shared truth. And because I want to be the change I seek in the world around me, because I am seeking a shared truth upon which to set my heart, I'm working to recognize the limitations of what I know, to listen with curiosity, to express openness, to act with compassion, 
It's in this place of wonder and openness, of unknowing, that I find that connection with others, that I experience the transcendent and the divine. And I believe it can be so for all of us. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Truth that is not truth, knowing that is not known, join our hearts today in the connection of our unique and shared understanding. Set our hearts upon the wonder and mystery of each other's truth, of being open to possibility, of making a leap of faith and moving forward together as if. Amen.